it is my desire that we would see the word of Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ himself, to be magnified in our lives. It is my desire that the word of the Lord would grow mightily and prevail, but I don't think it can grow mightily and prevail in our cities until it grows mightily and prevails in our hearts. You know, this is a message to the believers. You're looking too far for that need you have inside. You're on a big merry-go-round and it's taking you for a ride. You've got to let go and let go. Welcome to The Cleansing Word. We invite you to stay with us as Pastor John Pinnell of Calvary Chapel Lake Villa takes us through a verse-by-verse study from God's Word. Each Monday through Friday, we'll be airing messages to encourage you in your faith that you might grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I hope that you enjoy this broadcast and I'll return at the close of this teaching to give you more information about our church and how you can obtain a copy of this message. Now here's Pastor John with today's message from God's Word. Now God was doing other things there during that time. It tells us in verse 11 that God worked unusual miracles at the hands of Paul. That Greek word for Unusual is extraordinary, strange, uncommon. This wasn't the ordinary thing. Now, I struggle sometimes with churches who try to make the unusual miracles the ordinary to where they're always looking to the extraordinary. It's where I found God can do extraordinary things through ordinary means so often. In this period of time, this was unusual. It's very similar to what was happening with Peter to where people were being healed just by his shadow passing by them. They would find the shadow of Peter and and they would, by faith, they would be healed. It wasn't a shadow this time, it was a sweat rag. It says a handkerchief. That sounds kind of nice, but Paul tells us that he worked for three years. While he wasn't teaching, he was making tents during this time. So he was working in a very warm climate. He was sweating. And he had handkerchiefs or a sweat rag. But the people would come and they'd rip them off. I I, I just kind of imagine how it was for Paul. You know, it's kind of like turn around to grab your rag to wipe your forehead. and Not again. It's like he had to have a supply of handkerchiefs there or sweat rags that he could uh, wipe himself. Or even when he was teaching. But it was a trigger of faith for the people. It wasn't that there was power in Paul's sweat or power in the rag, or the things that he touched. The power was in the Holy Spirit, and the power was from God. It tells us right there in verse 11, God worked unusual miracles there. That, with Paul's handkerchief, his aprons, that the people were brought from his body to the sick, the disease left them, the evil spirits went out of them. So great was the power of the Holy Spirit working in the city at that time. There were some uh, traveling Jewish exorcists, seven of them, brothers, seven sons of Sceva, 
who tried to cast out a demon in verse 13. It tells us that they said to this man who was demon-possessed, in the name of the Lord Jesus, they said, we adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. They were trying to use the name of Jesus. They desired the power without the knowledge of who Jesus Christ was. And it didn't work for them. It didn't work well at all. It tells us in Scripture that the evil spirit says, hey, Jesus I know, Paul I know, but who are you? And the man who had the evil spirit leaped on them, overpowered them, prevailed against them, so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. It was probably the end of their ministry unless they found Jesus Christ. You know, that would be a great compellent to me too. The way they said it, by the Jesus whom Paul preaches, there's some power in the name of Jesus, but you can't misuse the name. You know, there are people today that they like to use the name of Jesus. They like to use the name of Jesus for their business because maybe they know that there are believers out there, there's Christians, and if Hey, if I use the name of Jesus, maybe I'll get the sale. And sometimes it's legitimate. Oftentimes it's not. Kind of the buyer beware. And we need to be conscious of that. I, as a pastor, I get uncomfortable when people come to the fellowship. They have need, um, you know, not on a Sunday morning. It can happen on a Sunday morning, but it can happen during the week where people are wanting a, a... a gift from us. They're in need. The need may be obvious, but they kind of over-churchy. I remember uh, back in the 80s, someone coming to the church in Zion that I was at the time filling in. They had no senior pastor, so I was the interim pastor there at that time. He said words like, everybody. I've heard so much about this fellowship, and the Lord spared me. I believe the Lord gave me a word of knowledge while the man was standing in front of me which caused me to go a different direction with him, which caused him to reject any help that we could offer because I wasn't giving him cash. That's what he wanted. And then I talked to a few other pastors in the area and found that he had been scamming churches from Antioch to Zion. People like to use the name of Jesus. It didn't work for these guys. I don't know if we'd beat him up and strip him and send him out naked today, but that's what happened in Ephesus on that day. But it became known. It worked. It worked in a a powerful way in verse 17. It became known to all the Jews and Greeks dwelling in Ephesus. The fear fell on them all, and the name of the Lord was magnified. See, the power of the Spirit was so strong in the city at that time that people didn't want to mess with the name of Jesus if they didn't know Jesus. They respected, they honored God in such a way that the name of Jesus was magnified. It caused those who believe, this is incredible, but it caused the believers, and we could use this today, the believers to come and confess and tell their deeds. So often in churches, we have those who are in need of confession. They believe in Jesus Christ, but they're continuing in their sin, and they're not being cleansed. They're not confessing. They're not, um, God knows everything anyways, but so often he wants us to confess it. He wants us to Own up to it. He wants us to admit to it. And you don't have to do it to another individual. Sometimes you may have to. You don't have to come to me and confess. You need to confess to Jesus. But in this church on that day, they came and they confessed their deeds. 
telling their, their deeds, confessing their sins. Also, many of those who had practiced magic. Now, I'm assuming those who believe that this is connected to the church, they're believers, but they still have the magic books in their house. It's like, you don't know how much these magic books cost me. It's my record collection, man. I had this since I was a teenager. It means so much to me. But so often the lyrics, they're not edifying. You know, in that day and as it is in this day, you know, sex, drugs, and rock and roll, they're glorifying flesh. They're glorifying the things of the flesh, but they're not glorifying God. But our minds are filled so often with these things. And so often we become believers, but we keep the stuff in the closet. For them, it was magic books. It says in verse 19 that they counted up the value. They had a bonfire with these things. They counted up the value that was tossed in the bonfire, and it totaled 50,000 pieces of silver. And this would equal what the commentators say. This would equal 150 men's daily wages for a year. So take 150 people, let's say today, making just a minimum of 50,000 a year and 150, 50,000 multiply that. The value of these things that they had, they brought it. And when they did that, so the believers, they confessed, they told their deeds, they cleaned out the closet, brought these things. In verse 20, it says, the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. You know, it is my desire that we would see the word of Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ himself to be magnified in our lives. It is my desire that the word of the Lord would grow mightily and prevail, but I don't think it can grow mightily and prevail in our cities until it grows mightily and prevails in our hearts. You know, this is a message to the believers, to the church in Ephesus. This was their early days. And then Paul writes to them in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. He had a dynamic ministry there. You know, if we're in the book of Acts, we get into this riot that developed. Paul would have to leave the city um, he would come back and meet, not even come back to the city of Ephesus. We don't even read, although tradition teaches that he may have showed up again. In Scripture, we never read that he came to the city again. He would come close enough to them that he called for the elders to come, and he taught them, and he says, I know that when I leave, that savage wolves will come in and from you. They're going to come in from the outside. They're going to raise up from the inside of the fellowship. And he just warned them. And he said, I warned you day and night. But here, 10 years later, he writes back to them. And he introduces himself, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. I just want to plan on that for a moment. To be an apostle means to be sent, to be sent forth. That's the literal meaning of the word, to be sent forth. Anybody can be sent forth. We know in Scripture that there are some apostles. Um, they're kind of like, John and James and Matthew and the 12 disciples, except for Judas. And then when Judas hung himself, Matthias became an apostle in his place. And then Paul says, I was called out of due season in 
1 Corinthians chapter 15, he spoke about the 12, and then he spoke about himself being called out of due season. But what I want us to realize is that he realized his calling was from the will of God. I don't know, you know, I get uncomfortable with the title apostle today when someone comes up and introduces himself to me as, hey, I'm the apostle so-and-so. I just get uncomfortable with that. I've had that happen before. You know, does the Lord have apostles today? Someone sent forth to preach the word to the nation? I believe he does. Do they have to go by the title? I don't know. There's, there's the other side of this where these were the 12 guys, Paul the 13th, Barnabas was called an apostle. There were others who went by this title in Scripture. But there is a special place that they had in Scripture, special ministry but they knew that it was by the will of God. Will I be an apostle? I doubt it. But can I know the will of God for my life? Absolutely. Will you be an apostle? Maybe. Not sure on that one. But can you know the will of God for your life? I believe so. And I think it's so important for us to know God's will for our life. I can say this to you. Pastor John, a pastor and teacher by the will of God. I can say that and I believe it wholeheartedly because at the age of 28 years old, God used a verse of scripture from Romans 10, 14, which asks, how can they hear without a preacher? And on that Sunday morning, the Lord was asking me that personal question, John, how can they hear without a preacher? And I knew he was asking me to preach his word for him. And so because of that one Sunday morning and my surrender to the ministry on that day, that I can say to you today, by the will of God, I am a preacher of the gospel. That has been so important to me because from the day that the Lord called me until the Lord put me in this pulpit, 11 years would go by. And I wasn't always preaching during the 11 years. I was Sometimes I was a youth pastor. Sometimes I was in school learning. Sometimes I was laying brick on a job site. And sometimes I was wondering, Lord... Didn't you call me back there? Isn't this your will for my life? Why am I not then preaching? Where's my pulpit? What's going on? What do you want me to do? And all along, there was this surety, and it was this recurring thing. I would go through these seasons of doubt, yes, uh, just grief, hardship, and I would cry out to the Lord, but I would never forget the call that God put on my life. John, by the will of God, he called me to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, maybe you're not going to be a preacher. Probably you're not going to be an apostle. Maybe an evangelist. Maybe a Sunday school teacher. How about Calvary Kids Club coming up? Maybe a worship leader. Maybe your gift is to make the grounds beautiful on the property, and that's your thing. Maybe you're an encourager by the will of God. You come alongside people, and, and when you leave, they're encouraged. They're lifted up, and that's your ministry. That's your gift. Maybe the Lord has planted you in such a place to where all you can do is pray, and pray you do. And you pray not only for people in this fellowship, but for missionaries and for people around the world. But you are a prayer warrior by the will of God. God has called you to pray. There are so many things that the Lord can do, but 
to know that calling, sometimes it takes a while. I'll tell you this, that I had been searching for God's call when he called me on that Sunday morning when I was 28 years old. I had been praying. I had been fasting. I was even letting my hair grow, but I didn't shave it off first. So it wasn't a true Nazarite vow. I had a jump start. I just let it start growing. But I was doing these things, asking the Lord all along, what would you have me to do? What would you have me to do? I was actually praying, Lord, if you don't tell me by the time I'm 30, I am going to, I believe that you want me to be a good Christian businessman. I'll go into business for myself. I've been running work since I was 23 for other people. Might as well do it for myself. But the Lord called me and it changed everything. Now, I didn't think about it at the time. It was a not even a, a thought, but when I was 39 years old, the year that I was called to be the pastor of this church, I was called somewhere around May, became the pastor in, in July. It was all official by July 11th. But in February, my boss offered me dividends in the company. He offered me a partnership with him. And I told him that I can't do it because the Lord has called me to preach his gospel. I didn't even have to think about it. I didn't have to go home and sleep on it. I wasn't even preaching, and yet I knew the call. We need to know God's will in our life. And sometimes what I'm trying to say is it can take time to understand what God's will. And sometimes that will can change for us. But he's writing to the saints. He's writing to those who are faithful in Christ Jesus. Notice that he's just writing to the saints. They've only been believers at this point by 10 years. Maybe a few of them has died, but you don't write to dead people, do you? See, our misconcept of saints in our church today sometimes is that a saint is someone who has died, that people has prayed to Jesus in the name of that saint. Miracles have been, has happened as a result of those prayers, and then a hundred years later, they can be called a saint. In Scripture, it calls all those who believe saints. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ today, you are a saint. I was in court for a ticket that I got a few years ago, and uh, one of the younger guys in his early 20s who was coming to church here at that time was also in court that day. And so we went through the line, and we did everything, and then we sat by each other, and you know, you're waiting to be called for the judge, and um, the ticket I got was right out here on Fairfield Road. It was... I believe two years ago, it was my last Sunday message before I went on vacation, and I was excited. I'm just driving a little too fast. And uh, I used a line from a movie on him, but he goes, you're the last person I'd ever expect to be seen here. And I said to him, I said, I might be a preacher, but I'm not a saint. In a sense, I'm not perfect. But we are saints, according to the Word of God. Sometimes we don't live like saints. Sometimes we don't um, live the way we should as believers in Jesus Christ. But from the heavenly perspective, we are saints. We have been sanctified. We are sacred because we've been set aside by the blood of Jesus Christ and his work in our life. And we are the faithful, which is a word that means to be trustworthy and trustful, to be dependable. But it also can mean to be believing, full of faith. We are the faithful. You know, it's so important to find someone who is faithful, someone you can trust and depend on. You know, my grandchildren, when I put a hand out to help them, 
they don't have to worry about me, you know, as they're stepping down from something and getting ready to catch them. They don't have to worry about me slipping back and let them fall on the ground and say, oh, I'm just kidding. You know, they can fall into my arms. I wouldn't want them to expect that if grandpa's going to try to help them, he's going to fake them out and actually hurt them. I wouldn't want them to even think that way about me. I want them to know that they can depend upon me. But it's not just my grandchildren, it's my children. I want them to know that they have a dad that they can come to. It's not just my children, it's my wife. I want her to know that she can trust me, that I'm faithful, faithful to God, faithful to her, faithful to our uh, marriage vows. But it's not just my grandchildren, kids, my wife, but it's also this fellowship, this church, that we're faithful. But it's faithful in Christ Jesus. We're faithful to the call that the Lord has put on our lives. And then he goes on, and it's common in every one of his epistles. He says, grace and peace to you. Only when he wrote Timothy and Titus did he add mercy in that equation. But here he says, and it's identical ten times, he says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And I just want to close with just a few words about this grace and peace. You know, it has been said that it's an acronym that's been put around the word grace, that it's God's riches at Christ's expense. It's also been said that we cannot know the peace of God apart from the grace of God. Grace always precedes peace. Romans 5.1, Paul said it this way, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into his grace in which we stand. Rejoice in hope of the glory of God. You know, grace refers to God's love in action and through which we can find true peace with God. I, I hope today that saints here in Lake Villa, that you are faithful. You are the faithful. And you, like Paul, would come to know the call that God has placed upon your life. That the grace and peace of God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ would invade your lives through His agape love that we would be willing to heed the message of God's Word for us today. That we would find the Word of the Lord being magnified and that it would grow mightily and prevail. Not just in the world, but more importantly, in our lives and in our hearts. You know, it all begins through faith in Jesus Christ. If you've never asked Jesus as your Lord and Savior, that's where it begins. And if you do that today, you will discover God's grace has always been there for you. It's my prayer that each of us would, would know the will of God for our lives. We'll talk more about that as we go through this book. But if you've been questioning God's will, may I just encourage you to kind of plan on that thought and ask the Lord to show you. It may take a while may take a year or two, maybe even longer for some. I know you don't like to hear that, but God takes his time. He has all eternity to work in our lives. But he's going to do a work in our lives here and now while we're in the flesh. And he's going to continue his work toward us when we're in heaven. I pray that we would take every advantage while we're here in the flesh. 
for everything that the Lord would have for us. That we would be a church life, Ephesus, here in Lake Villa. That we can have the Word of God expounded to us and that we can take that Word out into our communities and that after a while, all of Asia, all of Illinois will know and hear of Jesus Christ. Father, we pray that you would be with us. We thank you so much for your word. Thank you for, um, in advance, for the things you're going to show us in the book of Ephesians. Lord, we thank you for the examples you have given us through Scripture, through people like Apollos and Priscilla and Aquila and Paul, for those who believed like the Twelve and were baptized and filled with your Spirit. Lord, for those who did not reject the teaching of your word through Paul, but took it and spread your gospel throughout all of Asia. Lord, that was then nearly 2,000 years ago. But we pray today, Lord, the same power of your spirit would work in us and invade our lives. May your grace, may your peace always be upon us. May you guide us by your agape love, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Calvary Chapel is a fellowship of believers in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Our greatest desire is to know Christ and to be conformed into His image by the power of His Holy Spirit. If you would like more information about Calvary Chapel, or if you would like a copy of today's message, please contact us at 847-265-0646. That's 847-265-0646. Thank you so much for joining us today, and may the Lord richly bless you as you worship Him today.